Well, please take your Bibles off at this time. Let's turn together in the Word to the Psalm 119 once more. And the Psalm 119 and that section that began with the verse number 153. And the Psalm 119. And this section, we'll start it together. And again, there's just really two words that I want to leave before you uh, tonight. They're found repeatedly in this section, uh, but they're found eight different times in the Psalm 119. And so let's bow together in prayer. We'll call upon the Lord's name and ask for his help as we come to the word. Almighty God and our Father in heaven, we do again humbly come before thy word. We are conscious that our hearts, they are prone to wonder. We are prone to leave thee, the God that we love. O Lord, we pray for the sanctifying work of the Spirit through the word tonight. Bless the hearts of your people. Help them all to be aware of their spiritual condition. Help us all, O God, to renew in our soul, to be determined to live fully dependent upon thee and thy grace. Bless the word to those perhaps who aren't saved. Use thy word, O God, to open their hearts. May the Spirit open their eyes. They would see Christ. Love him. Oh, dear Father, we pray you'd come. Stir up our souls, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I think it was true to say that many churches, broadly speaking, are in an unhealthy condition at the present time. I'm not talking particularly about here or or Malvern or somewhere else. I'm just speaking in very general terms. There is a recognition that those churches that are seeking to be faithful to Christ are not what they could be, are not what they once were. The church is not enjoying times of great spiritual health. Again, I accept that's a generalization, but it is certainly true in many instances. And such a diagnosis has led led to many to ask the question, well, who is to blame? What is the reason for the spiritual health of the churches? Why are things as they are? Is it the fault of the the pastors? Is it the fault of the elders? Is it the fault of the members? Is it because of the world? Is it because of the devil? Is it because of God's sovereignty? All of these things are offered as possible reasons for the poor state of the health that our churches are suffering from. We must always remember... That the church is a body. Oh yes, invisibly, universally, eternally, the church is described as the body of Christ. But Paul used the same terminology in 1 Corinthians and Romans to describe the local church. That those who gather in one place at one time can consider themselves to be a body of believers. A body of those who are various members who join together under Christ who is the head. And the body has various parts. We're all parts of the body of Christ if we're saved by God's grace. And as part of a local church, you are part of the body. But there's one thing, there is one thing that is very true about the physical body. The health of the whole depends on the health of each individual part. You know what it's like in your, in your own experience. 
you know, boys and girls here, if, if, if they get a, an upper respiratory infection and they end up with a sore ear, a red ear, there is one part of their body that's affected, but they are miserable. Uh, different terms you might use in my culture, in my language, but they're not very happy. And they've got a fever. And the whole body feels ill, although only one part is particularly affected. And so it is in the church. The health of the body as a whole depends on the health of each individual part. And thus tonight I want to consider the subject of personal revival. I want you to think about your own spiritual health tonight. That if our church is to be healthy, then we ourselves individually must know spiritual vibrancy and health. Now revival, of course, as a word, as a term, has been used in in various ways. Chiefly, historically and biblically, it was used to describe an unusual movement of God. In a particular place, at a particular time, and many souls were brought under deep conviction of sin and saved by grace. That is a a revival, or in, in North American terms, an awakening. Revival in the UK, awakening is the most popular term here in North America. The movement of God in a, in a particular locality at a particular time whereby many souls were convicted of sin and saved by grace. We long for that, don't we? We ought to long for God to come and souls to flee from sin and run to Christ. We should long for such days. Revival was also used, I suppose wrongly this time, to describe an organized meeting or meetings. We're going to hold a revival. You can't organize revival. Revival is the sovereign work of God. It, it can't be organized. It's a misuse of the term to organize and hold a revival. But what I'm thinking about tonight is neither of those things. Although if God comes in a revival to an area, uh, God's people will know personal revival. But yeah, what I'm thinking about tonight is, is something distinct. It is a biblical concept And that concept is clear from the prayers of Psalm 119. Look at verse 154. And the words that are used there. Plead my cause and deliver me. And here's the two words. Quicken me. According to thy word. Verse number 156. Quicken me. According to thy judgments. 159. Quicken me, O Lord. According to thy loving kindness. Personal revival. I want to begin by thinking about the concept here, the concept of this personal awakening, this personal quickening, this personal revival. The word here that is used for quicken is a very general word in the Hebrew language, but it comes here in a particular form. And the form that is used here implies the refreshing of life. It is the idea of restoring, enlivening. If you want a big word for it, revivification. It is bringing life again. That's what's involved in this term for quicken. It's used interestingly over in First Chronicles chapter 11. Listen to this verse and hear if you can decide what word it is. It says in First Chronicles 11, And he built the city round about, even from Milo round about, and Joab repaired the rest of the city. And the same word is used here in Psalm 119. And it is of course the word repaired. Repair is not to build something from scratch. 
It is to repair something that already exists. This word that this speaks of, of reviving life is, is not describing the beginning of life, but the reawakening of that spiritual life. The same is true. Turn back to Psalm 71. You've got your, your Bibles there. Let's turn together to Psalm 71. And we'll see the word used there in verse number 20. Psalm 71, the verse number 20. Again, the psalmist praying, Thou which has showed me great and sore troubles shall quicken me again. And there's the word used with the, with the word again, supplied in English, quicken me again. And thou shalt bring me up again from the depths of the earth. And so you see in the term that is used here, there is a recognition of life that is being rekindled. So thus the presupposition, this topic, the, the concept of personal revival begins with understanding that it is the believer, the Christian, who needs to be revived. Look back at the Psalm 119 and note the terms that are used of the psalmist here. Psalm 119 and the verse number 157. Many are my persecutors and mine enemies, yet do I not decline from thy testimonies. Verse 159, consider how I love thy precepts. Note who's praying for a quickening here. It's not the unconverted soul, it's the believer who loves the word of God, who delights to do the will of God, who does not decline from thy testimonies. In this word quickening, there is the assumption that life is already present. It is life that must be revived. Now, I'm conscious that when I preach on this subject before, I've used an illustration. An illustration that may be somewhat lost on you southerners down in the, the deeps of Florida. And the reason I said it is that I want to talk about an open fire. Now you Michigan people, you may appreciate this more than the people from Florida. But I have lived in a number of houses in my, in my short time. And in a few houses we've had, that we've had in, in, our, in our main room, the big room we might call it, we had in the main room, we had an open fire. It was a fire with a grate up through the chimney. And not in the, the boys and girls, not in the middle of the room, like a, 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 some sort of wigwam or something like that. No, and I, just a, against the wall, an open fire with a, with a grate and a, and a hearth and such things. Now there was something we used to do. Uh, one of the houses I, I, I lived in, the, the open fire had behind it a, a boiler with water in it, and that boiler was heated, and then supplied the heat to the rest of the house on the, uh, via the radiators and the, the water plumbing system. Now, that fire was very, very important. And so it came to the end of the night, and it was our desire to, well, we, we use the term to, to keep the fire in. And uh, what that essentially meant was you, you, you let the fire die down. Again, if you're lost, people from Florida, I apologize. I know you never use a fire, but uh, the temperature never gets, never gets below 70. But you know what I'm talking about here, okay? So you let the fire die down until it's almost out. Now here, I'm going to completely lose you. We, we then would go out into the backyard, and we'd grab the big bag of something that was called slack. S-L-A-C-K. The slack was pulled out. Now, and you said, what's slack? Well, slack was a mixture of a small piece of coal, coal dust, generally some water added into it. So what you did, you, you let the fire go out almost to nothing. And when the fire was out to almost nothing, very, you, just, you just see a little glimmer of ember still burning. You go out and get the slack, you put the slack in a bucket and you throw the slack over the fire. And you cover the fire completely. That was called keeping the fire in. And then you go to bed. And you hope the next morning when you get up, the fire was still in. 
And how would you know the fire was in? Well, you would get a big iron stick. We called it a poker. It was called a poker because that's what you did with it. You poked with the poker. And what you did with the poker, you got the poker, and you went to the fire, and you had the slack over the top of the fire. And you got the big stick, the poker, and you, you poked the poker into the fire. And you hoped there would be little bits of red under the slack. And as you broke through the slack and the air came back into the fire, your hope was, what happened to the fire? It would revive. It would quicken. The fire was already there. You didn't need matches. You didn't need a lighter. You didn't need gas. None of those things. You just had to get a poker to break the slack, open up the fire to the air, and the fire revived. It quickened. That's the concept here. So I want you to appreciate this tonight. This is a very important concept. You see, if you are not a child of God tonight, you do not need to be revived. You're dead in sin. You need to be born again. Your prayer tonight is not to be revived. It is to be regenerated. It is to be born again in the Spirit of God. Because the Word of God tells us very clearly that those who are still in their sins, they are dead in sins. D-E-A-D. Dead. And you cannot revive death. And I mention this to you because I want you to understand. That the word used in Ephesians chapter 2, that we are quickened together with Christ, is different than this. Do not confuse them. There is a quickening in Ephesians chapter 2, but that is the rebirth. That is being made alive. Dead sinners cannot be revived. They need to be born again. They need a new heart. They need a fire lit. They need a fire in their heart for Christ that only can be lit by the sovereign God. But the child of God, the fire is already there. It's already lit. There's already a a warmth for Christ in our hearts. But we need this matter of being quickened. So be clear where you stand tonight in light of the word. Make sure you understand where you are before God. Are you still dead in your sins with no fire at all for Christ? Or are you a child of God? And you understand, as I understand, there is a continual need for God to quicken us. That's a concept of the word that's before us here in Psalm 119. So in the second place, let's think about the concern for this. Now the concern for this quickening is a realization, the child of God, that we regularly, often, repeatedly, Encounter spiritual coldness, dullness, and lethargy. I'd be cautious about mentioning that. For fear you'd all think I'm just describing myself and this is not true for you all. But I know this is a biblical concept. That every child of God has regular ups and downs. Periods of spiritual vibrancy. But also periods of spiritual coldness. We're not given timetables here. We're not told how long this might happen for. But if you've been saved for any length of time, you will remember times in your life where you were spiritually cold and dull and lethargic. That's what's involved here. The language is used in the book of Revelation. That's why I read Revelation chapter 3. Turn over to chapter 2 though first. 
Okay, and I'm just simply saying to you, this, this burden to pray in the psalmist arises because of a realization in our hearts that the child of God can often suffer these periods of spiritual coldness and dullness. Revelation chapter 2 and the verse number 4 says this, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. This has to be a description of the Christian. And again, the unconverted person never had a first love for Christ. They have no heart for Christ at all. We've said that already. But here's the child of God, and Christ comes to the church and says, you've a, you've a trouble here, you've a problem here, you need to repent of this, because you've left your first love. And then Revelation chapter 3, we, we read the verses in, in chapter 3. And there, there for us again, and look at verse number 16. So then, because thou art lukewarm... The description again of the, of the, of the child of God. I, I know it's a Christian here because of verse number 19. As many as I love. The same church. As I love, I rebuke and chasten. The Lord tells us that he chastens those he loves. He chastens his sons. Those who are adopted into his family. He chastens them. And to those who are loved of God. They are at times described by that terrible word, lukewarm. What a sobering thing it is. There are times in our lives we suffer these things. Turn right back to the Psalm 119, but this time turn to the verse number 25. Again, I'm simply trying to, to demonstrate to you this, this is a biblical concept. The concept of personal awakening, the desire from it comes because of a concern for a, a burden for it. And the Psalm 119, the verse number 25 says this. My soul cleaveth unto the dust. Quicken thou me according to thy word. The soul of the child of God is, is cast down. Again, the picture can be many things, but it's describing the child of God stuck to the ground. That's literally what it's saying here. Our soul, it's, it's stuck to the dust. We can't lift ourselves up to heaven. It's spiritually depressed. Weighed down to the point that we're right down in the dirt. It's an awful experience. You wonder how you, you know these things? How do you identify it? There's a lack of zeal for God, a lack of love for Christ and others. There's a lack of joy. There's a lack of hunger for the word. You know, if you were to go to your spiritual doctor and walk in through the door and say, Doctor, I don't feel very well. I'm suffering. The doctor said, Well, what's wrong with you? And say, well, well, my mood is low. I have no joy in the house of God. Others sing and they, they seem to be enjoying what they're singing. I, I sing and it's misery. Misery. I have no joy in the house of God. I have lost my love for Christ. My, my heart doesn't draw out unto him anymore. I, I, I feel that in my heart. I have no pleasure in the things of God. I have no hunger for the word. My appetite's gone. And the spiritual doctor will come to you and say, I believe you've a case of spiritual coldness, or you may call it spiritual depression. This is a real situation. And the concern that begats this prayer, 
is a concern that understands some of the causes of this, uh, this, this burden of soul. It may be that we are overwhelmed with cares, overwhelmed under afflictions. Look at the verse number 107. Psalm 119, verse 107. I am afflicted very much. Quicken me. And verse 153 begins, Consider mine affliction. There are many afflictions that arrest the people of God. It may be family, a burden for unsaved loved ones, suffering, grief, loss, maybe financial concerns, can be concerns with our health or well-being. We should be aware. Grief and worry and sorrow can so dominate our hearts that we are drawn away from God. The Psalm 138 describes that. Look at Psalm 138 in the verse number 7. Psalm 138 in the verse number 7. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, thou wilt revive me. There's a sense that when we walk in the midst of trouble, there is a particular need for God to come and revive us and quicken our hearts. And if you like the cares of this world, it comes and chokes the fire. It's, it's like the slack thrown over the fire so that the fire looks as if it is almost out. And in fact, to the naked eye, it looks as if it is out. And so it may be for the child of God. They're overwhelmed with affliction to the point that their spiritual vibrancy is to the naked eye gone. That can happen. We must be aware of this. It may also be that we become careless in our spiritual pursuits. Look at verse number 37. Psalm 119, the verse number 37. Again, I'm just simply drawing from these verses that describe this matter of being quickened. Psalm 119, the verse number 37. Turn away mine eyes from beholding vanity, and quicken thou me in thy way. The verse 36 says, Incline my heart unto thy testimonies and not to covetousness. When you read the word vanity here in, in the Psalm 119, you must immediately think of vanity in the book of Ecclesiastes. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity, said the wise man, the preacher. And what was vanity to the wise man? The things of this world, they were vanity. Wealth, pleasure. All of these things. He pursued them with diligence. And he came to the conclusion. Wealth, money, wisdom, pleasure. It's all vanity. And so the psalmist here is saying. Turn away mine eyes from beholding vanity. I have looked upon vanity with delight. And therefore I need to be quickened. And the consequence is this. That when we allow our hearts to be consumed with the world. Then we so neglect our spiritual health that we grow cold, dull, and lifeless. There are things in this world that are legitimate. It is right and proper to to care for family and to to care for your your labor and your vocation. It is is right and proper to, to attend to these things. But when they become an idol in our lives and they consume us, 
They can so occupy our minds that we neglect our spiritual well-being. There was one way in which you could never keep a fire in. And that way was you had the fire roaring. We might talk about a good roaring fire. You know, the flames were red and yellow and all sorts of colors. It was a roaring fire. And you thought, you said, well, I'm going to keep the fire in tonight. And then perhaps you would go visiting. And back in another Ireland, we, we would drink a cup of tea. And tea with milk and maybe a sugar in it as well. And you'd be, you'd be sitting drinking tea, visiting someone. And you stayed too long. And as you stayed too long, you, you came back home. And your heart would sink as you walked through the door and the fire was out. There was no way you were going to keep that fire in. It was gone. And what happened? It had been neglected for so long that there was no fire at all. It was completely out. Now, I understand that we need to be careful theologically here, but the picture still holds true. That you cannot expect to have a warm heart devotionally if you are neglectful of the means of grace. You can expect to burn in your love for Christ if you're never in the Word. If you're never before Him in prayer. Do you know what it's like? You miss the prayer meeting for a week. The next week's very easy to miss the prayer meeting again. You miss the Lord's day on a, on a week and you think, well, I, I don't need to go next week either. And there's neglect and neglect and neglect and you're away from the Word for too long. You can't keep the fire going. There is also the reality that particular sin will put the fires out. Hosea chapter 14 describes again the backsliding of Israel. And it says, The promises I will heal their backsliding, I will love them freely. For mine anger is turned away from him. But verse 7 says this, They that dwell under his shadow shall return, they shall revive as the corn. The promise of God to a repentant backsliding people is that they would revive. Implication is this, very clear. If you backslide into sin, then there is the need for revival. Because when you backslide into sin, it's like throwing water in the fire. David. David found himself falling into sin, didn't he? Adultery, murder, deception. And he had to cry unto God, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Do not think, do not think you can dabble in sin and still burn bright in your love for Christ. It cannot be done. You may think for a time that you can be a pretense, you can come and sing loudly, but you know your heart. And if tonight you're here and you're indulging in the sins of this world, whatever they may be, and I'm not going to paint any pictures tonight in this regard, but you know your own heart, and if you're gladly indulging in the sins of this world, whether they be sins with your eyes, your hands, your feet, whatever it might be, if you're indulging those sins, you should not be surprised if your heart is cold towards Christ. There is a concern for revival that comes from recognition of these regular seasons of spiritual coldness, whatever the cause may be. Which leads in the third place to the cause of how God does indeed quicken us. 
How do we turn things around? How does God come and revive us and revive our souls? Well, let me be very clear. It is God's sovereign initiative. Revival in all its forms is a sovereign work of God. It cannot be organized or produced. Look what it says in the verse 159. Consider how I love thy precepts. Quicken me, O Lord, according to thy loving kindness. You think of the causes that I have set before you as possible reasons whereby we become cold in heart. And we are responsible for our actions in all of those causes. We've allowed the cares of the world, whatever they may be, to overwhelm our soul. We've become careless in our spiritual, in our spiritual devotions. We fall into sin in all of those things. We are culpable and responsible for not doing what's according to the word of God. And let's be honest, we are all guilty of these things, are we not? And thus, when it comes to this prayer, quicken me, we do not come to God with boldness and brashness. We come with humility because we understand that our coldness is our fault. And our dullness is due to our carelessness or neglect. And therefore we come to God and we say, quicken me in your loving kindness. Quicken me in your mercy. It is God who must take up the poker. And it is God who in his mercy will take the poker to the slack fire of our hearts and drive the poker in and so cause the breath of the Spirit to come in and revive our souls. But praise God, he is able and willing to do that. And we rejoice that we can come to him regularly, often, and pray this prayer, quicken me. I know I don't deserve it. I know I'm, I'm, I'm worthy of being cast out. But, but quicken me according to thy loving kindness. It is something the psalmist prays for. It is the desire of the child of God to be revived. It is a tremendously troubling experience to see someone who professes Christ to be content with a cold heart. I remember preaching in a little village in Northern Ireland a number of years ago now, and it was a gospel mission outreach into the area, and a man came to me, a big smile on his face. Hello, preacher. I'm a backslider. I had to control my tongue. I said a number of things to him at that time. My chief thought is, what are you smiling about? The true child of God will never, ever be content with a prolonged period of spiritual coldness. It's a prayer because, remember, the child of God has been born again, the Spirit of God. And the reborn heart cannot live content with spiritual coldness. It's the dead sinner that's happy to stay dead in their sins. And if you're here tonight and you're spiritually cold and dull and you do not care, pray to God that he's mercy upon your soul. It's a terrible thing. It's an indictment upon your heart if you've no love for Christ and you do not care. And the child of God will be troubled. And thus there is an element here of man's activity. Whilst it is God's sovereign initiative, 
Like in all things in the scripture, what God does sovereignly, we are responsible for our own actions as well. And by God's grace, we so act, and we act through the means of prayer, don't we? Humble prayer, I've mentioned this already. Urgent prayer, the prayers in the form of a command, quicken me. There's humble urgency, a demand of your life of God to come. A persistent prayer. Verse 25, verse 37, verse 40, verse 88, verse 107, 149, 154, 159. This is a repeated prayer. Humble, urgent, persistent prayer. Charles Bridges has a tremendous commentary in Psalm 119. In the verse 25, describing the verse 25, he says this. It is not the complaint of sickness, but an application to the physician that advances the recovery of the patient. Now, I preach that's old English language. But it takes me back to a time working in, again, a, a, a provincial town up in Northern Ireland. And in that time, we had a particular problem. Men. Generally older men. And the problem was very simple. They became unwell. And they would sit in the corner of their house and grumble. And complain to their wives. And their long-suffering wives. And they would, they would complain about this and that and the other thing. And they, would, they would spend days on end complaining about how unwell they were. To the point that the wife, being long-suffering for so long, would then go to her dear husband and say, Enough's enough! Will you not get up and go and see the doctor? That's what Bridge is saying here. It is not the complaint of sickness, but an application to the physician that advances the recovery of the patient. To be spiritually cold and grumble about it is one thing, but that will not advance your recovery. You need to get up out of your sickbed and run to Christ and plead to the great physician to quicken and revive your souls. That's what the word of God is telling us here. Humble, urgent, persistent prayer. And in so doing, God is pleased to use his word. Look at verse 154. Plead my cause and quicken, deliver me. Quicken me according to thy word. Verse 156, quicken me according to thy judgments. God revives the heart of his people in conjunction with his word. The spirit comes and breathes life into your souls. As we come to apply the promises and believe the doctrines of the word. There are these two ways in which these words can understand. Quicken me according to thy word. There is the sense in which we plead the promises of God. Let me give you just one such promise. Isaiah 57 verse 15. For thus saith the high and lofty one, that inhabiteth eternity whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him also as a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble. And to revive the heart of the contrite ones. You can come to God. You can get on your knees in prayer. 
Say, Lord, in your word, there's a promise that you will revive the contrite one. I'm now pleading that promise. I am cold and dull and lethargic, but I do not want to stay here. I'm praying for you to quicken me according to the promise of the word. God does not lie. There's a promise to claim. You plead the promise. But God also quickens us as we believe the doctrines of the word. We all love the verse. We love because he first loved us. Now I understand in part, as referring to the application of the gospel to our souls, that we first come to love Christ because he loves us. But is there not also the element of responsiveness in this? That the fires of our heart in love for Christ respond in light of our awareness of his love for us? Is it not true at times? This is our experience. You get up on a Sunday morning, perhaps, and you've had a terrible week. What a week it's been. You haven't slept hardly. You've been up in the mornings, but you've been so busy you've neglected the Word. You've allowed prayer to go passing. You, you missed the prayer meeting. All of these things, they, they came upon you to the point that you went to bed on Saturday night. And the slack was on top of the fire. The fire looked as if it was almost out. And you come on Sunday morning and things aren't any better. And you come to the house of God. And you come to stand and sing. When I survey the wondrous cross. On which the Prince of Glory died. Love. Divine. All loves excelling. You come to reflect again upon the love of Christ for your soul. And what do you begin to experience? You find that by God's grace the poker is being applied to your heart and the breath of the Spirit is coming in and you can begin to feel the fires warming. Why? Because you're coming to respond to the doctrines of the Word. It comes to the sermon and perhaps the preacher is coming to the point in the Gospels where you're presented with Christ in the garden. And in the garden you see him with his soul troubled and he falls upon his face on the ground. And you see as it were by faith the sweat, the blood that comes from his forehead. And you come to realize this Christ, he came to give his life a ransom for many. You come to appreciate that he comes willingly. Lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me. And he comes to do the Father's will. He comes to consent to die for your sins. And what do you find in your soul? The poker is being applied to your soul. And the fires are reviving. In response to the word. And whilst that may happen to you in a public setting, praise God, it can happen to you in your own home. When you're there. Spiritually cold and lethargic and dull and lifeless. And you get your Bible out. Do not be surprised if you're spiritually cold with your Bible always on the shelf and never in your hand. The Bible is there to show you Christ as he's promised in the Old Testament. Fulfilled in the New. Expected in Revelation. In all of these things you see Christ. And as you study the word... 
you love because he first loved you. And so by God's grace, we are quickened according to his word. The health of the body requires the health of each individual part. May we be very careful that we don't blame the spiritual state of the churches on everyone else when we're content to have a heart that's all slacked up and not burning with zeal for Christ. This is not a time to judge your neighbor, your husband, your wife, your brother, your sister, whoever it might be. This is the time to question your own heart. Say, Lord, I need this prayer tonight. Quicken me according to thy word. If you do not love Christ, you're lost. Heading to a lost eternity forevermore. It is the mark of all true believers that they love Christ. But in the heart of all true believers, there is a tendency at times that we're prone to wonder, prone to leave the God we love. And so for many of you here tonight, it is your prayer. Quicken me, O Lord, according to the loving kindness. Let's bow together in prayer. Eternal God and our Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for the searchlight of thy word. I confess, O Lord, how often, how many days we find ourselves engaging in the Lord's work without having a heart that is on fire for Christ. We are to love the Lord. We think, dear Father, of the words of your son to Peter. He who had slipped into the point of denying the Lord. And Christ, your own dear son, came to Peter and said, Lovest thou me? We feel that question in our own hearts. More love for Christ. That's what we need. More love for Christ, O Lord. Help us not to neglect the word. Help us not to neglect our spiritual responsibilities. May the cares of this world not overwhelm our souls. O Lord, quicken us, O God, according to thy loving kindness. According to thy word. Bless this gathering. Bless our time of fellowship now. May even the communion of the saints be a blessing to our souls and fire our hearts up in our devotion to Christ. We thank you, Lord, that you are the God of all grace. And thus, as this night would draw to a close, be pleased to dismiss with your blessing. May we walk in thy favour, walking in thy fear. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.